Yeah, let's get to stay here and enjoy some good stories. Before I get going, I'm going to ask our online guests, if you could type into the comments your favorite story of Christ, of Jesus. Which, of all, in all the Gospels, which is one of the ones that's your favorite? There's a whole bunch. Because today we're going to talk about the stories that made the front page. The ones that um, made Christmas important. The ones that made Easter important. You see, if Easter happened, big deal. We wouldn't have known anything about this individual that died on the cross. Because people died on the cross all the time. It was a normal way of torturing and killing people by the Romans. And had the stories not happened, then the story of Christmas would be useless. Who cares about this little baby? But really, it turns out it's important because of all the headlines, because of all the stories added together. So today I want to talk about stories that made the front page. Jesus was just not another Jew. He was a very, very unique Jew. So here we go. We got a couple people chiming in with their favorite story is. Uh, Gary says he likes the lost sheep. Dan says John 10. That doesn't help. Dan, tell me what the story is. I don't have it memorized. I have an idea, but let's have a little fun here. Uh, Jim is talking about calming the storm. Yes, in fact, there's two, two stories about calming the storm. If you remember which one's which. Yep, yep, yep. One he walks in the water, one he's in the boat. Um, so lots of good stuff there. Jennifer writes, I love the story of Mary and Martha and the story of the prodigal son. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Robinson from Pakistan. Yay. Hey, we, uh, we played one of Joshua's songs today. So good to see you, Robinson, and uh, greetings to your family from Hope Fellowship. All right. Let's begin talking about this birth. And as I see more and more stories come into the comments, we'll, we'll highlight them as we go. Jesus, the good shepherd, the sheep hear his voice is what Dan says. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, John 10.10 says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly, like more and better life than they ever dreamed of. This is what makes Jesus different from all the other Jews. It's not just some person in history, big deal. All of these stories make the big difference. So again, we're going to cover the birth of Christ in a couple weeks, because Advent starts in two weeks. So this is kind of the Christmas prequel. What makes Christmas so important well, it's these highlighted stories. Obviously, we talk about uh, uh, Mary and Joseph and no room at the inn. Everyone remembers that. And these stories are found in Matthew uh, and in Luke. Uh, they talk about the babe in the manger, the shepherds and their flocks and the angels and all that cool stuff, um, which is really important. But then they also talk about the wise men coming from the east, following the star to Bethlehem and bearing gifts for the Christ child. Do you remember that uh, uh, the wise men weren't part of the manger scene? Do you guys know that, right? Uh, most of you do, because I keep repeating it every year, but many other churches imply through the keeping the story tight that... <coughs> they're there, but they weren't. It said they found Jesus in a house. So obviously um, Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem for a little bit and found a house to live in or whatever, stay with somebody, who knows. But they didn't find Jesus in the manger. In fact, they were people looking and reading through the stars and the symbols and looking through the warnings and prophecies of the old. In fact, uh, I have a hunch uh, that Daniel... These were probably uh, disciples 
uh, or from the lineage of the disciples of Daniel who'd been foretold in Babylon. When the Israelites were, Hebrews were set free or whatever happened, Daniel stayed and he trained and, and uh, was like a teacher in a school of mystics teaching them the ways of, of God and the Babylonians, even the teachings of Buddha were part of all that. It's crazy how this goes way, way, way back. So what, where does this come from? Well, uh, where do these, these wise men suddenly come out of nowhere? Nobody talks about it. Why are these wise men there? What's the big deal? What's the gift? I heard there was a fourth wise man whose, whose gift was rejected because he brought fruitcake. I think that was, I think that was the Far Side cartoon. But anyway, the point was, somebody else, apart from Jewish history, was on alert, reading the signs of the times, reading the prophecies from cultures, and that's why they showed up. Very interesting, worth, worth exploring. Mary and Joseph, of course, have to escape to Egypt. They return later to Nazareth, which is a dinky little town, um, then Jesus is being then presented at the temple after he's born. Eight days later, he's in the temple. And then he shows up 12, at 12 years old, and he's having theological conversations with the priests. There's one kid here that I can totally see having a theological conversation with me, and that's Owen. Absolutely. Like he's just wired for it. Well, Jesus was wired for it. He was interested in his father and in the whole system and the house and, and the teachings and all that stuff. So that was kind of cool. You know, we might get into that. And then, of course, the story of God coming to earth as a man began thousands of years earlier with the prophecies of the coming Messiah. That's another story that needs to hit the paper. Yes, Jesus coming, isn't that nice? But because it was foretold, many, many, in many, many places... And we're talking like 500 years before and earlier. Like, it's all there. And they came true. God spoke of a Savior in Genesis 3.15, so that's a really long time ago. Uh, centuries later, Isaiah foretold of a virgin who would conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, a couple more comments here. Russ talks about the prodigal son and the story of Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin. Yes. And I, oh, he cheated. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Robinson. Yes, we love you, buddy. Nancy. Yeah, raising the widow's son and Zacchaeus story. Yep, great stories of Jesus. Uh, these are amazing. Uh, there we go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, Becky, let's, let's give me a Jesus story. We're looking for the stories of Jesus. I love it. But that's a really cool story because I think kids love the Sunday school story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning uh, furnace and all that fun stuff because it's woohoo fun. All right, keep going. Well, the first roles of the key events in the life of Christ is the humble beginnings in a stable. The stable represents the humility of Jesus becoming like us. All right, this is, this cannot be forgotten. He did not come as one to be worshipped. He did not come as one to expect all the gold, silver, and all the trophies of the earth. He did not come to receive all that. He came to give. He came to serve. Humbly, as a servant, he set the model. You want to talk about true leadership? Just compare Jesus' style of leadership to any leader today. And you're going to see a contrast, sometimes a gaping huge contrast, and other times smaller contrasts. But this is how Jesus modeled it. This is the attitude he provided for us. And his humility didn't just stop in the manger. 
Philippians chapter 2, I love, love, love this. It says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. And here's the best part. Be free from the pride-filled options. Oh, sorry, opinions. For they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide your hearts. But, with, but in authentic humility, put others first. Others first. Huh. And view others as more important than yourselves. Huh. There's more leadership skills. Do you see that? Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let this mindset be your motivation. What is your motivation? Is it to take over, conquer, trump over somebody? Is, is your motivation to assess wealth for, <laughs> I got enough, <laughs> is, it, is it like me, 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 me? Well, in our Western culture, it sure seems like that when we see toilet paper run out of the stores. People hoard, 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 and now they have two years' supply or ten. It's crazy. But the motivation that Paul's encouraging us to have is the motivation to live as Christ lived, to model the attitude of Jesus. Here's what he did. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. He didn't have the king's seat in mind. He didn't have, ooh, I want that. I'm going for the top goal. I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to take over this company one day. Yeah, I'm going to work my way up the ladder. I'm going to clean the floors first, and then I'm going to move my way up because my goal is that prize. That's not what Jesus did. Huh. We have some things to learn. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory <coughs> by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. Oh, oh, what? And was what? What's that word, folks? Obedient. That's a swear word today. It is. Wear a mask. No! Sorry, I have no patience for that anymore. Wear the dang mask. Be obedient. Love one another. I don't care what your opinion is of it anymore. Love one another. Love one another. And that's not, a, I'm not trying to create a fight, so just so you know. But honestly, that tells us something. That means be obedient, children, to your parents. <gasps> Owen looks at me, what? I can see through that mask. <laughs> Be obedient to your parents. Do they get it right all the time? No. But still, listen to them. Be obedient one to another. Husbands and wives. Uh-oh. How does this fit? Wait a minute. They're not going to tell me what to do. You're supposed to submit. Well, the scriptures say submit one to another. Listen to one another. Arrive at a mutual place together. Hmm. 
Jesus, he was perfect, a perfect example, even in his death, criminal, a criminal's death by crucifixion. He laid down his life. This is the Jesus. This is the Jesus who humbled himself and became human, being fully God, fully man. He's both at the same time while he lived. He did not live out of his divinity. He did not live out of knowing everything at any given moment. We see this, this example in a couple of places where he's asked, hey, um, uh, when is this all going to happen? Jesus said, I don't know the time or the hour, but the Father does. He ain't told me yet. Might have told him five minutes later. Who knows? Even the story of Jesus turning water to wine, he tells his mom, Mom, I'm not, this isn't the time yet. Mom, back off. You know, quit telling me what to do. You know, like just chill. Like it's not my time. Well, she turned and went away, and within moments later, it's time. Suddenly it's time. There's a time he's on his way to, to uh, I think it's Jerusalem. And uh, the disciples say, hey, come along. He says, no, you guys go on ahead. Um, it's not my time yet. Ten minutes later, oh, am I really slow in hearing you or what? <laughs> who knows we don't know what happened but this is how Jesus worked listening to his father moment by moment not depending on his own knowledge as in divine knowledge does Jesus know everything and is fully aware of everything now of course but as a human he, he was not he did not live out of the access of all information only the information that God his Father gave him. And this is how we are to live. Moment by moment, abiding in Christ. Depending on him. Living from his humility in us. Pretty powerful. This is the humility of the birth of Christ. Then we have the baptism story. Jesus' baptism is a big deal. His baptism by John at the Jordan River is the first act of his public ministry. This is the beginning. This is his ordination, so to speak. John was a baptism of repentance. And although Jesus did not need such a baptism, he didn't need to repent of anything. Instead, he consented. He bowed. He submitted to what was there. Entered us. Entered our darkness. Our need to repent in order to identify himself with humanity. He modeled it for us. John balked when Jesus said uh, he wanted to be baptized by him. In fact, uh, he said, no, 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 it's me that's got to be baptized. No, 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 please. Be. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Just do what you're told. No, he didn't say that, but you, you can see where this went. They, they, they sparred. They knew each other. They were relatives. And Jesus said, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John did as requested, and he baptized Jesus. And something profound happened after that. The baptism of Christ symbolized his death, the resurrection. It prefigured and lent importance to believers' baptism and publicly identified Christ with those whom he would die. That's what baptism does. It identifies us as Christ-like. We're ones who believe in Christ. Some are baptized by a sprinkling. Some are infant baptized. Some are, and I've seen the Orthodox baptisms. <whistles> Do you ever see, how many have seen an Orthodox church child baptism? Okay, yeah, exactly. Brian's got it right. They, I tell you, it's like a, take this whole baby, bump into this, this little tub of a pool, bump, and then the, like, I'm talking almost violent. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. Like, it's just shocking. You should YouTube it, and you'll go, what? Anyway, it <laughs> doesn't matter about the mode. 
It's your heart. Getting baptized doesn't transact anything. There isn't a transaction that happens when you are baptized, then you're now in. Some churches require to be baptized before you can become a member, and they can make it pretty legalistic. It's, is it wise? Yeah, I think so. It's a great idea. I think getting baptized is a fantastic opportunity, and this winter we're going to be cutting holes in the ice and inviting those who want to come and get baptized to be baptized. <laughs> or you can wait till summer and do it in the nice warm water. <laughs> it's crazy, you know? But Jesus did it to identify. He submitted to it. So those who may be balking at the idea of being baptized, well, I don't really want to. Why? Jesus modeled it. He's encouraging us to. It doesn't get you saved, as some people imply. It doesn't. It can't, because Christ has already done everything that needs to be done. We get to believe it now. Listen, this, this snapshot, this front page story changed everything. But we wouldn't have known that had all these pieces been put together. In addition, his identity as the long-awaited Messiah was confirmed by God himself who spoke from heaven, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Parents, I think if there's a gift you can give your kids for the rest of their life, tell them you're my kid and I'm well pleased. Tell them often I'm well pleased because too often we spend time just parenting and correcting. And when most of our work is doing the correcting, they will hear the message they're not good enough. That is what happens in our society. So let's flip the narrative. Make sure you speak to your children. Speak to, even if you have younger kids, that's great. But if you have older kids, adult kids that are married or young adults, tell them now. Begin now for the rest of your life telling them, you're my son, you're my daughter, in you I am well pleased. Really important. Let's change the narrative of this world that's so negative and it's filled with hate and, and pointing out all the flaws. And if you're like me in any way where you have some shame issues still, I'm 52 and I still got shame issues where I can misconstrue somebody's words. It's terrible in marriage because sometimes I mishear what Lori says. You know, I do. I, I take it personally. Nobody else does that, I know. But I do. And realizing, oh my goodness, she did not mean to speak to a false identity. I need to realize, wait a minute, I too am a beloved son of God. And I got to hear that message myself. And I want to tell my kids that I'm really proud of them. Their behavior is not what makes me proud of them. I'm proud of them because they're mine. Period. Beautiful picture. Finally, Jesus' baptism was the scene of the very first appearance of the Trinity to mankind. The Son was baptized, the Father spoke, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. The Father's command, the Son's obedience, and the Holy Spirit's empowerment present a beautiful picture of the ministry and life of Christ. It's not just Christ's life. He lived our life in advance for us. This is our life. He lived the perfect life for us already so we can live from him. That's a big deal. And then we get to the first miracle. <laughs> yep, I saw a picture of, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, it had to have been Photoshop, but it's in a liquor store in the wine section that says water. It's all this red wine. And somebody wrote underneath, Jesus was here. 
I like that. Or Jesus walks into a bar, 12 waters, please. Wink, wink. <laughs> Too funny. The first miracle. John's gospel is the only one that records Jesus' first miracle. John's account of the life of Christ has, a, has as its theme the purpose to reveal the deity of Christ. This event where Jesus turns water into wine shows his divine power over the elements of the earth. The same power that would be revealed again in many more miracles of healing and the control of the elements such as wind and the sea. There we go. Francis talks about the calming of the storm, the feeding of the 5,000. That's her favorite. Good morning, Ken and Francis. John goes on to tell us that this first miracle had two outcomes. The glory of Christ was manifested and the disciples believed in him. This was a, what just happened? Okay, like, wouldn't you freak out if you're at this like super long wedding, I guess they have like three or four day weddings or a week long weddings. We don't have any clue what it's like in our culture. We try and get out before midnight, you know, or like at least 2 a.m. And if you're a guest, you want to be home before midnight because you're tired. <laughs> but here, they're partying and partying for days and days and days. And they ran out of wine and Jesus was asked by his mama, can you take care of this son? It's not my time, mama. Take care of it. <laughs> you, can just, you can just picture. She must have been a feisty woman. I, just, I kind of think so. Yep. The divine glorified nature of Christ was hidden when he assumed human form. But in instances such as this miracle, his true nature was made manifest to all who had eyes to see it. It became evident to all. See, Mama knew. Mama knew. She knew what was going on. She knew she was a virgin. Nobody else believed her. But she knew. She knew. She saw. She recorded these things. She had all this scrapbooking of all these headlines of Jesus' story in her life. She knew who he was. All right? Listen, if an angel shows up and tells you a couple things, you're going to sit up and listen. You're never going to forget that. And here, she knew. She was pushing him. Come on, it's time. Make us some wine. Make it good. Perhaps the most biggest, like the most popular sermon of all time was the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was preached by Jesus to his disciples early in his public ministry. Many memorable phrases that we now know today came from this sermon, including, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, or the kingdom of God. You've heard the phrase, salt of the earth, the eye for an eye, the lilies of the field, ask and you will receive wolves and sheep's clothing. It all comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Man, if I could have one sermon that could last through history, like, like this, that'd be a pretty cool sermon, you know? It's etched in writing forever. Like, how cool is that? You know? But I like this last one. You have heard it said, but I say. I think that's one of the most important lines throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because they had messed up with the law. The law that was in place was never meant to be there permanently. There was a flaw in the law. But wait a minute. The law is supposed to be perfect. It is. It's a perfect law. Well, then how can you dare say it has a flaw? Well, it does have a flaw. But you said it's perfect. I know, but it's flawed. How can it be perfect and flawed at the same time? I'll tell you. Nobody could achieve the law. 
And here's where the flaw was. It was powerless to do anything to you or for you. It was powerless to save you. It was a setup. The law, the old covenant law, all those Old Testament rules are part of the law. They're there to set you up for failure. God wouldn't do that. He did. And he did it on purpose. Because that was never his intent for you to follow the laws. His intent was to make you his as one. And you would hear the the, the law of love in you, not the law of commandments. People get really bent out of shape when you say, say, uh, um, how do I say this carefully? You can use the shock statement that we're not to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. And guess what that'll do? Really tick off a lot of people in church. Well, how dare you, you know, speak against my Ten Commandments. Well, you can use that as a shock statement. It may be unhelpful to do it that way. I've I'm learning not to do that because it's very unhelpful. Instead, let's find out what the purpose of those are. The law was given to a group of people as a way to guide them because they refused to be guided as kings and princes. And princesses. They said, no, give us a law. Okay, give them a law. Here, you can't do any of these. It was impossible for everybody to do the law. Therefore, if you break the law, what do you need? Forgiveness. That's why every year they have this rotating system of sacrifice where everybody's sins were atoned for. They put uh, one lamb out to the wilderness, set them free, put all, placed all the sins on them and gone. Every year. And here's the scary part. Think about this. When they did those sacrifices, did every Jew have to be present for that sacrifice to count or matter? Owen? Do you think? No, they didn't. Did they actually all have to believe it in order for it to be true? Or was it true regardless if they believed it or not? (laughs) It was true regardless if they believed it or not. Well, isn't that interesting? Now we take a look at one who's greater than that old covenant law. And Jesus came in. And said, you have heard it said, but I say, see, he takes what's uh, all this effort of, of trying to make the law perfect because the, the law was given. And then the Jews added on a whole bunch of extra rules and laws. We're talking a ton because, hey, maybe we can keep these laws. Woo, we can feel good about ourselves because here's the list of laws we can keep. Because those other ones, man, we, we just can't. And Jesus takes all that and says, uh, if you're trying to pull down perfection to all these extra rules, I'm going to mess that up. You say, but I say, impossible. Back up to impossible. And he says, I have come to do what? Fulfill the law. Jesus was the only one who's going to be able to fulfill that entire law. And when that was fully met and he died, that covenant ended like a last will and testament. What happens when you die? Your last will and testament explains what you're going to do. But what's, you can't invoke that until you're dead. Well, you can't do anything about it because you're dead. <laughs> but you're, you're left, the living ones that are left deal with it. And then a new thing has to be put into place. Spouses sometimes have a, a will written together. When one of them passes on, it stays. But if both, or then they change it. 
you know, because of the ones gone. Jesus brought in a new covenant. He came to fulfill the law, to take what was impossible to do. He fulfills it. Now he says, live from me. I've modeled it for you. Sermon on the Mount also has the concepts of going the extra mile, turn the other cheek. Yeah, you got four of them. <laughs> the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. The Lord's prayers in there. Like, this is all from the Sermon on the Mount. Great stories. By expounding the spirit of the law and not just the letter of it, Jesus left no doubt that legalism is of no avail for salvation and that, in fact, he, sorry, the demands of the law are humanly impossible to meet. The, he ends the sermon with a call to true faith for salvation and a warning that the way to that salvation is narrow and few find it. Jesus compares those who hear his words and puts them into practice to wise builders who build their houses on a solid foundation. When storms come, their houses withstand. This is powerful. We're going to end here. Next week, we'll deal with the feeding of the 5,000. So I get to see? We've got to definitely finish here. <laughs> I know, hey. I can't believe how many slides I've left over at the end. Oh, my goodness. What time is it? Shoot, it's just after 11 already. Well, folks, it's fun preparing for Christmas like this, highlighting some of the cool stories that led us to why we celebrate Christmas. So join me next week as we dig into a couple more stories, some of the highlights. Thank you for those who've commented and uh, um, shared your stuff. Andy Hofer from Winnipeg, good morning. It's so good to see you online. Yay! Miss you, buddy. Hope you're doing well. All right. Let us wrap this up. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the stories that have been preserved for us to remember and hear and retell. Thank you for the kids' stories that we have. Not only are they sharing with the children, but they're also reminding the adults of those same stories we've heard long ago. Thank you, Father. Amen.